Dr. Hebrews in a month, that's for darn sure. So we were a little bit limited. We picked Colossians, four chapters, and we broke it up. And uh, on the 18th, I'm actually going to be on vacation. Me and Nicole are taking our very first actual vacation to celebrate our anniversary. And we are excited. And you guys should be excited for us because capital C, Cameron Wright, the senior pastor, is going to be here to speak in my stead. So suits and ties that day. And everyone speaking proper English and don't look me on. Okay? I'm just kidding. No, he's, he is wonderful. One of my favorite people. Lord, bless my words as we walk through your book. Thank you for the Bible. And thank you for these people that I get to fellowship with, with you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, the chunk we're going to do today is Colossians 1, 1 through 14. And that's it. Just that one chunk of scripture. And we're going to walk through Paul's train of thought, and we're going to kind of study it together. We can't hit every single point that could possibly be hit. But the goal is to walk through Paul's main ideas, get a context, and also get an idea for how to study the Bible better. So if you are an expert Bible studier, and I'm looking at a few people in this audience that I think have got it down pretty well, maybe you'll be like, oh, hey, that's old hat, I know that. Well, just try to be blessed by the message. And if you know the message real well, but you don't study too well, then be blessed by that. So you've got some options. So if you're not blessed, it's not our fault. Um, just that was a terrible thing to say. I'm going to read the whole thing all the way through, and then we're going to go through it bit by bit. Does that sound good? Colossians 1, 1 through 14. I'm going to read out of the NIV. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God, to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of His holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and has brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And again, that's Colossians 1, 1 through 14. You know, the great thing about preaching right out of a chunk of scripture like this is that the authors of scripture were, they weren't just writing random words, right? They had a train of thought. They were going somewhere. They had a plan. They wanted to communicate something. In short, this is a sermon, right? 
this has main points that he wants to convey. So this kind of takes a little bit of the work out of it. And if you read the Bible this way, thinking, all right, what are you trying to tell me? Already we're on our way to studying the Bible better. Just before we begin, if you've never really done any serious Bible study, this is a fantastic, small, unintimidating little book that you might want to pick up. And it's called How to Study Your Bible. <laughs> Write that down. I feel free that. And actually, this one is revised, and it's called The New How to Study Your Bible, which probably has much the same content as the original, I'm guessing. And uh, it's by Kay Arthur, David Arthur, and Pete DeLacy, and it is phenomenal. It is a whole book of suggestions and tools, and we're going to get to some of those immediately. So who is this letter from? Well, let's look at the introduction. Really, this is all introduction, and the introduction is important. Because the intro to a letter sets the tone. Who came to my Galatians Bible study at least one night? Who was there? Oh, so good. Denny, yeah, you were there. Was Paul happy in Galatians? He was not. He was not a happy dude. And that definitely came through in the intro to the letter. He like skipped a whole bunch of niceties and was like, what the heck is wrong with you? But here we have a different tone in Colossians. We have Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. Grace and peace to you from God our Father. Those are verses 1 and 2. Looking for repetitions of ideas or words is a great way to study the Bible. This is two verses. God is mentioned five times. God is going to be mentioned, at least by my count, 18 times in the 14 verses we're going over today. God is really important in Colossians. In fact, Jesus in Colossians is super exalted. He's like cosmic Christ, and it is awesome. We call that Christology. It's a high Christology in Colossians. It's pretty great. But let's just go over some details. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm rambling. I shouldn't ramble. I should follow my notes. Follow your notes, Anthony. Paul is a missionary extraordinary. In case you guys don't know who he is, he wrote more of the New Testament than anyone else. And he wrote a lot of it writing to individual churches. A lot of times a problem would arise, Paul would find out, and he would address it via a letter. And then we, 2,000 years later, are benefiting from the problems that other churches have, which tells us two things. One, churches always have problems, and two, God has a contingency plan for that. So Paul is writing, and he's writing with Timothy. Timothy is Paul's right-hand man, his number one protege, and his most trusted leader. It, Paul says that Timothy has a heart just like his. Okay, so this is two powerhouses of the faith, and they are writing to the church in Colossae. Now, Colossae is an interesting place because it's not really an interesting place. It's not a Rome. It's not a Corinth. It's a second-rate has-been town. It used to be a really great town a couple hundred years before this. It was really prosperous on the east-west trade route, running through what is modern-day Turkey. But there are these other two upstart crappy towns, Laodicea and Hierapolis that have sprung up onto the map and they long ago surpassed poor Colossae. I mean, they are the up-and-comers and Colossae is going downhill. By the time Paul is writing, it's probably just a second-rate market town. It's a has-been. It used to be. But there's a body of believers there. So to Paul, it's just as important as any other city in the entire world. Okay? The greeting... 
we have our first main point that I want you to take away. I'm just going to tell you because we're going to walk through this and it's going to seem like a lot of words and a lot of random points, but I want you to take away from this identity, relationship, and what Christ did for us. Identity, relationship, and what Christ did for us. Remember that. We're going to hit the identity thing immediately because this letter is not written to sinners saved by grace. It's not written to hopeless worms just trying to get along in this life, waiting for the sweet by and by. Paul says, Paul and Timothy writing to God's holy people. Well, other translations, maybe yours will say, saints. He's writing to the saints in Colossae. That word is a word that means holy or holy ones. He's writing to the holy ones. Paul does this all the time. It's not just here. So the first thing you might want to think about if you're reading through Colossians is, well, that's interesting. He calls them saints. And then he works that out in these 14 verses. I'm, I'm in danger here because I have Cameron's whole sermon right here and my whole sermon right here. And I want to try and get the best points of both. I might just not do that. Okay. So he calls them saints. Identity. All right. We're going to move forward. Grace and peace. Oh, this is important too. There's so much that's important. This is why Bible study is awesome. You're saints. And he says, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We skip right by that all the time because it just sounds like a nicety, something we might say. But when you're a Greek and you wrote a letter, you would write greetings. And greetings is a word related to the word grace. So Paul is adapting that common Greek greeting, and he's saying grace to you. So a little twist on the word, and he makes greetings grace. But then he also accommodates a standard Jewish opening, peace. So he's using a little bit of Greek and a little bit of Jewish culture to talk to the body of believers. That's cool, isn't it? Because Paul is all about no more Jew, no more Gentile, we're all one in Christ, and we see that reflected in the opening of his letters. He's pretty cool. Because we're all under the umbrella of God our Father. So next, in, in verses 3 through 5, we have his prayers of thanks. Paul is rejoicing about the Colossians' faith. Let's read that again, 3 to 5. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people. The love, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel. So the second right has been town is being remembered by the most impressive missionary in history almost continually, and he's rejoicing when he prays for them. So that had to be encouraging for them, right? The Apostle Paul is thinking about us. We got a letter from him. This is so cool. And he says that the faith and the love that they have, they have that love for God's people. Faith in God, love for people. And that makes Paul rejoice. And not just any people, by the way. It says the faith for God's people. I'm sorry, love, the love for God's people, the love for the saints, the love for the church. These people love church. They love each other well. And Paul is really happy about that. And I would be very happy if everyone in church always loved each other well. That would be really great. (laughs) And in some churches, maybe a nice change. God help us. (laughs) 
Could happen in any church, by the way. That was a nice thing. All right. Where does the faith and love come from? The faith and love come from the hope. Listen to this. The faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven about which you've already heard. Faith, hope, and love do seem to pop up together, don't they? All the time. And Paul was saying, you have this faith in God and this love for people, and it springs from the hope that you have. When we say hope in America, if Keith tells me, I hope the Golden State Warriors beat the pants off the Cavaliers, what he's really telling me is, I wish, right? I wish that would happen. Or if I could have it my way, this is the way I would want to have it, but I have no guarantees. That is not what this word means in the Greek. When the Bible talks about hope, it is talking about the eager expectation of something you know was coming. Bill Johnson tells a story about poor, poor Benny Johnson, his wife. When she was a kid, they had a tradition. And her and her sister would hide behind a wall. And in the other room, it's Christmas morning, and the Christmas tree's set up. And they know that the Christmas presents are there. And they would have to wait, you know, Benny Johnson and her sister, until the parents called. And when the parents called them, they could come around the corner and see the presents. But they weren't allowed to see the presents until then. And one morning... His wife was so excited as a little girl, she peed her pants when they were still hiding behind the wall. And he laughed and he's like, that's hope. <laughs> like you haven't even seen the presence yet, right? You're living in faith, but you are so certain they're there, I'm, I'm piddling, right? <laughs> that's biblical hope. I know the presence are there, right? I know that I have this future hope and glory. It is coming certainly and absolutely in Christ. And faith and love spring from that. Is that good? That's way better than wishful thinking, is it not? So that's a good point right there. Which brings me to another point of Bible study. We look for repetitive themes, but also look for key words. So if you're reading the Bible, and you read a word like hope, and you think, I wonder what that means in context. Look it up, man. Get on your smartphone and get the Blue Letter Bible app. It's just one of many. And it has tons of options. You can go to their little dictionary and they'll give you a brief definition of what the word means in context in the Greek. And it's really helpful. I mean, you can't get through seminary using only that app, but I'm here to tell you, it sure can help. Take it from me. Amen. So, yeah, ELB, look for key words. According to the International Standard Bible Encyclopedia, this is a good quote. It says that Jesus never really talked about hope too much. Because when he talked about hope, he spoke about it in the language of certainty. This is what will happen. This is what is coming. He, he lived hope perfectly because he was just certain. That's pretty heavy, man. That's awesome. All right. We're moving on to verses 6 through 8. So he's greeted them. He said, you guys are saints. That's your identity. Don't forget that, by the way. We are rejoicing for you guys. We love your faith in God. We love your love for the other saints. And we love the fact that that comes from the vibrant hope that's in you. And then he takes a break in verses 6 to 8 and says some things that almost seem like an aside. Check this out. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. What's going on here? 
Well, he's drawing this second-rate has-been market town somewhere in the middle of modern-day Turkey into the global scene. He's drawing them up into what God is doing throughout the whole earth. And he's saying, guys, you've seen this faith, hope, and love bearing fruit in your lives. He's like, you're taking part in what God is doing all over the world. It's happening, just like it's happening with you everywhere. And you guys are a part of it. And then he mentions this Epaphras guy. Paul didn't start this church. Epaphras probably did. And Epaphras was probably converted by Paul. This is churches going out and starting churches already. This book was probably written mid-50s A.D. And the gospel's already catching like wildfire. He's casting a little vision here. He's getting excited. He's like, look, it's already working, guys. It's really working. Like, you heard about it from Epaphras. We didn't even start this church. And you guys are a vibrant body of believers. We love Epaphras, man. But it's amazing how all over the world this, this kingdom thing is catching fire. And you guys are a part of it. We are doing that. This church came from New Day. It came from another church, right? Which came from another church. I mean, this is what God does. It's like wildfire all throughout the globe. We could get the same kind of report. You know, a little bunch of crazy people get together in Toronto. I think it was 1996. Everybody makes fun of them. Fast forward 20 years. The effects of that have rippled out to Africa and Asia and everywhere across the world. Millions of people have gotten saved. Because one pastor is like, man, that looks weird. But let's go for it. <laughs> Who knows? Paul probably looked weird sometimes. Maybe a lot of times. But he's saying, you are a part of this amazing thing God is doing all around the world. You're drawn in. Isn't that awesome? I think that's cool. I feel like there's more there. Let's see what Cameron has to say on that, shall we? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. There's some things on knowledge. It's all very good. Listen to it on the podcast. They're all recorded, by the way. If you go to newdaycommunity.org, you can listen to all the sermons from the main campus, this campus, and Vandalia. And then vote for who's better. No, that's not really on In fact, I don't think comments are even able. <laughs> Moving on. Edit. Let me turn this off. <laughs> Verses 9 to 14, yes, finally we get to what I've been waiting for. Identity, relationship, and then what Christ has done. Those are the three things I really want us to take away. We're saints, we're holy ones, okay? Relationship with God is what we're going to get to now. Because after Paul says, we're rejoicing for what you've done, you're part of this thing God is doing all throughout the world, he says, this is what we're praying for you when we continuously pray. 9 to 14. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. Let's just stop right there, just at verse 9. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. Last week we talked about Stephen, and I liked talking about Stephen. And we made the point that Stephen was full of the Holy Spirit and full of wisdom. And it's almost hard to avoid becoming a hero of the faith if you're full of the Holy Spirit and full of wisdom all the time. No matter what you do, you know, you're positioned perfectly to go through life and reflect Jesus everywhere. Paul here is kind of assuming that these people are filled with the Holy Spirit. He's assuming they're those type of people. He's saying, 
He prays to God that they'll be filled with the knowledge of His will and all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. He wants them to be that kind of individual, full of the Holy Spirit and full of the wisdom and the knowledge that a life-going, life-giving relationship with the Holy Spirit gives. So relationship, and then what comes from that? Why does He want them to have that? He goes on. I want them to have this wisdom and knowledge from the Spirit. Verse 10, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way. It's important in the New Testament to live a life worthy of the Lord. Another verse says, live a life worthy of your calling. Keep in mind who you are, saints. Keep in mind how high that calling is, that you're no longer sinners worthy of death. You're holy ones. Live a life worthy of that and worthy of the Lord that purchased you so that you can please the Lord. Which begs the question, how do I please the Lord and live a life worthy of the calling? Well, luckily, Paul continues. <laughs> Have that wisdom and the knowledge that the Spirit gives so that you can live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him. Colon. Bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, and being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might. Wow. Living a life pleasing to God by bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, and being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might. That sounds pretty good. And this brings us right into works. Bearing fruit in every good work. You see that we didn't start with works, okay? This is not a works get you to heaven message. I hope no one leaves here today thinking I'm saying that. But Paul definitely is saying, if you are full of the Holy Spirit and the knowledge and the wisdom of God, and you are therefore driven to please Him, that will show up in good works. It will not show up in a life that says, my faith is my business, I don't really talk about it. It's mine, you know, you have your business, and I have my business, and you know, I, I just kind of watch TV a lot and don't really do anything. Ever. You know, Paul is saying, this will manifest itself. You will be bearing fruit in good works. And it might even be unconsciously doing those good works. You will become the type of person that holds the door open, gives the 50 cents, says, don't worry, I got it. You know, your heart is going to change because you're full of knowledge, knowledge and the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. It's going to show up. And not only that, but you'll be growing in the knowledge of God. You'll get to know God better. Getting to know God better, in context, is pleasing to God. One of the ways we please God is by getting to know God. That's cool. That's neat. We should enjoy getting to know God. Remember the J.B. sermon. He never knew him. Would have saved his whole life. And the third way, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. Oh, I like that. It's pleasing to God to strengthen me according to his power. That's cool, too. I'll take some of that. But Paul goes on and tells us what that power is for. And maybe this sounds less fun. <laughs> okay? Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. And we have another so that here. So that you may wow people with all the miracles. No, dang it, that's not, not in there. Although that is part of the Christian life sometimes. So that you may have great endurance and patience. 
and giving joyful thanks to the Father. Endurance and patience. It's pleasing to God to fill us with His power so that we can live a life of endurance and patience. Around the 50s in the Roman Empire, little town equals hard life. You don't have much security. The emperor could be a lunatic and do whatever he wanted at any minute. You guys should read The Lost Letters of Pergamum. I just had to read it for school. I am shamelessly plugging that book. Because for just about 150 pages, I was put into the world of these Christians in the first century. And I have to tell you, I didn't like it very much. But I admired them very much. But the world was kind of gross. And Paul was like, hey, God's power is going to strengthen you to have endurance to make it through. God's power is going to strengthen you, strengthen you to have patience with these people, with these situations. And he's going to strengthen you so that you can give joyful thanks. That's awesome. Because if we were just making it, that doesn't sound very good. But God's power is so good that we have enough that we can give joyful thanks. Paul is writing this letter from prison. He's probably under house arrest. That is not fun. You need some endurance and some patience when you're in a situation like that. And he was probably there about two years. But he always wrote the weirdest things from prison, man. He wrote things like, rejoice always. Again, I say rejoice. It is no trouble to me to say it again. Rejoice. That's Philippians. And here he's saying, hey, God is going to give you the strength to endure and give joyful praise, man. So I thank God when I think of you guys. I'm thanking God all the time. That's his power. And you know what? It pleases him to strengthen me. That's awesome. Identity, we're saints. Relationship is key. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is so primary to Paul. It's so primary in Colossians, Galatians, Romans, the whole New Testament. We need to be filled with God. The awareness of God. We need to be led by God. It's key. Amen. Giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people and the kingdom of light. Now we're getting to the last part where we talk about what Jesus did. And this is kind of a... Paul didn't write this to be one concise sermon. This is just the intro to his larger book. But it does work nicely as a sermon because he's going to end with a fantastic salvation message in a way. And whether he intended it that way or not, that's how I'm going to use it. So he said you should give joyful thanks for he has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of life. He's the holy people thing, that's that hagios word, it's holy ones, it's saints. We deserve death. God the Father qualified us to be holy ones and share in the inheritance of his holy people. You know who's always called the holy one of God in the book of Mark? Jesus. He's saying you should give a whole lot of thanks because instead of getting the punishment you deserve, God the Father has decided instead we'll just spread out the inheritance of Jesus to these people. We're going to bring them up here. We'll make them holy ones. Whoa. I'm not sure I completely grasp the depth of that. I don't mind telling you. That is amazing to me. And I'm actually a little bit concerned that maybe I'm not amazed enough. Paul is saying that's what you need to live worthy of. That's a high calling. Good thing it pleases him to give us the power to do it. Amen? Amen. Gets better. 13. 
He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves. Rescue mission. God is saying, He snatched you out. He actively went and got you. He rescued you. And you are under the domain of darkness. Three key words. Rescued, domain, darkness. Okay? Hopeless spot. God decides, I will rescue. Can't get out. God decides, I'll do something about it. Couldn't climb out of the pit. God decides, I'll swoop down and get them and bring them up here. And he doesn't just take you out of the domain of darkness. It says, he brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. Not just taken out of darkness and set on a hill where it's kind of light. <coughs> Brought out of darkness and made a citizen of the kingdom of light. The kingdom of Christ. I've got something in my throat suddenly. I'm not doing that for dramatic effect. <coughs> Although it does quite work. Rescued and transferred into the kingdom of the son he loves. Verse 14 in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Key words popping out here again, and these are going to be our last two. Paul is reminding this church in the intro of who they are, how he hopes they'll live, and the incentive to do that. You are saints. Be filled with the Holy Spirit and the knowledge he gives, because then you'll be pleasing to God. You're going to bear fruit in good works, you're going to be strengthened by God. He's going to give you the ability to endure. And he's going to give you the ability to rejoice. And you should rejoice, Colossian Church, because you have been saved, rescued out of darkness, and brought into the kingdom of light. That is a reason to rejoice. And then he tags on this last line, talking about Jesus, in whom we have redemption. That word means liberation, deliverance, or purchased for a ransom price, as if you were kidnapped and he came and got you. Liberated. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And let's not just skip past that word forgiveness. That means a pardon. As if whatever it is in your life never happened. Okay? And let's pause here and say that that really means all sin. To hang on to something, whether done to you or something you've done to someone else or to God and say, that couldn't have been forgiven, is to say, Jesus, that cross really wasn't that big of a deal. That suffering really wasn't that intense. You probably didn't pay a high enough price to pay for that. Let's walk in the line of blasphemy. And it actually sounds a little bit prideful when you look at the bleeding, broken body of Jesus. Amen? He paid the price so that your life could be as if those things never happened. And then the last part of the definition almost caught me by surprise, but of course, the remission of the penalty. Because he paid the penalty. You're forgiven. The penalty is paid. Rescued, forgiven, moved to the kingdom of light, which is probably much better than the kingdom of darkness, and made an heir to the king. That, I mean, if that doesn't sound good, that's okay. I mean, we can always say no. 
No thanks, Jesus. I'm looking for an option B. Something better must come along. Nothing better will come along. This is supposed to make the second-rate market town start this letter saying, yes, that's who we are. That's what's going on in the world. That's what we're a part of. That's the God we serve. This is awesome. This is awesome. Paul is probably going to write the rest of the letter to refute something called the Colossian heresy, which I will say nothing about because we really don't know what it is. But he says a whole lot of really good truth about Jesus and how awesome Jesus is and what Jesus did for us. And then he ends the letter with some very practical application. But let's leave today, verses 1 through 14, knowing to the depth of who we are that we are saints. You know, I respect people that say we're sinners saved by grace. Bill Gates even has a great song. You know, I'm a sinner saved by grace. Any Gaither fans? Just me. That's awkward. I need Denny. Denny, no Gaithers? Come on, man. All right. But it's not true. You are a sinner saved by grace. But when you were a sinner saved by grace, you were made something else. You weren't made a sinner saved by grace. You were made a saint. Okay? You... You didn't just have God descend into the kingdom of darkness and say, hey, when you die, you're going to be mine. Enjoy the kingdom of darkness until then, no. No. Rescued, transferred, kingdom of light, holy one, heir. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. God, you did more for us than we realize. God, we do not give you the credit or the respect that you deserve quite often. And it's not because we don't want to. It's because... You're kind of too great and too awesome for us to understand most of the time. So God, we, we appreciate the fact that you are humble and you receive our praise when we give it heartfelt, even if we're not quite comprehending just how awesome you are. But God, we want to be awed by you. I want to be astounded by you, God. Lord, I ask you to open my mind a little bit more. Let me see how amazing you are just a little bit more, Lord. God, we... If it's in your heart, if you agree with this, God, we daringly say, humbly and daringly, like Moses said, would you show us your glory? Would you show us your glory, God? Would you show me a little bit more? A little bit more. We know we can't see all of it, God. Will you show me a little bit? Enough so that my mouth hangs open and I forget to blink? Just wow me, God. Change my heart. We give you permission to tinker, God. We want to live lives that are pleasing to you. We want you to empower us to have endurance and patience and to give thanks, God. We want to be the kind of people that are going around doing good works and not even thinking about it. We want to be that kind of people. We want to be filled with your Holy Spirit, filled with your love, filled with your wisdom, filled with your knowledge. And when our leaders, whoever they may be, think about us, we want to smile across their face and we want them to think, God, Thank you for them. Man, thank you for what you're doing in their lives. Let the testimony of the church, this church and every church in Kalamazoo, go out. That that is a place where God's fire and God's presence and God's wisdom and God's goodness are. We want to be part of that. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. We have a prayer team up front. If you need prayer for anything, come up here and get prayer. But if you want to give your life to the Lord, Today is the best day there's ever been in the history of the world to do that. True fact. And I would invite you all to do that as well. Other than that, please enjoy the coffee and the food. You're dismissed. Thank you guys.